Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation will recap the week that was, including a look at some notable market drivers. We will also spend time reflecting on Q1 performance of fixed income and, of course, preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Uh, joining us for the conversation this morning, we will be hearing from two senior fixed income strategists from the UBS Chief Investment Office, uh, both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden. So, Frank, Barry, welcome back. Great to be with you both and looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. Good to be here. And happy Friday. Happy Friday. Absolutely. So I guess, Frank, as a starting point, can you recap for us some of the more notable market events over the past week? Uh, definitely. And the events of the past week are really an extension of what's been going on over the past several months. You know, the past several months, we've seen the economy transitioning away from the early stages of the economic recovery cycle into more later stages. And of course, the Fed has been adjusting accordingly, and people have been referring to this as sort of a hawkish pivot, meaning that uh, the Fed is is uh, moving away from monetary policy accommodation and more and toward more restrictive policy, and that pivot has intensified in recent weeks, including this week. And the latest kind of uh, a piece to this puzzle really came a week ago when we got the March jobs report. The unemployment rate fell to 3.6%. That's close to the pre-pandemic low of 3.5% that we saw back in September of 2019. That itself was near a 50-year low. So the latest employment report is just the latest economic data point giving the Fed further latitude to get more hawkish and focus more intently on fighting inflation, which, as we all know, is near 40-year highs. So against that backdrop, this week we did get more hawkish commentary from Fed Governor Brainerd. She is typically considered one of the more dovish members of the Fed, but uh, uh, Governor Brainerd on Tuesday was out advocating for a faster pace of quantitative tightening. And then the next day we got confirmation of that with the FOMC uh, meeting minutes that were released Wednesday. Quantitative tightening, of course, is the pace at which the Fed will gradually reduce its balance sheet. Uh, we know that the Fed just finished phasing out balance sheet expansion through monthly purchases uh, that those purchases ended in March. So now, as early as next month, perhaps, we may see the Fed move toward balance sheet contraction by allowing runoff of their bond holdings each month. We can contrast this to the prior period of quantitative tightening that went uh, that ran from 2017 through 2019. Uh, that's when the Fed reduced monthly reinvestments gradually from $10 billion a month up to a steady $50 billion per month pace or $600 billion a year. But this time, according to the FOMC minutes released on Wednesday, this time they'll, uh, they'll phase in the, uh, balance sheet contraction more quickly. It'll be a, uh, it'll take place over three months or so. And then after that transition period, they'll move to a more steady pace of balance sheet reduction to the tune of $95 billion per month, consisting of a monthly reduction of treasury bonds, uh, uh $60 billion worth of treasury bonds and $35 billion of mortgage-backed securities, so a total of 95, $95 billion per month. Wednesday's FOMC meeting minutes 
also showed there was discussion of a likely 50 basis point rate hike in May and potentially further 50 basis point rate hikes to follow. So overall, uh, Dan, it was it was confirmation of this accelerated hawkish pivot that's been taking place over the past several months. And it confirms that this hiking cycle may be the most aggressive that we've seen in the past 20 or 30 years. So and that's had an impact on risk assets this week. Somewhat of a difficult week for risk assets. The S&P 500 is down marginally so far this week. We may see a higher open today, and maybe they can get into the uh, get towards move into positive territory for the week, depending upon trading today. But we also saw Treasury rates surging higher once again. Uh, Barry, what was your take on on the events this week? Yeah, I, I would just add in terms of the other economic data points, we did have the ISM Services PMI, which came in. Uh, it did rise to a level of 58.3 in March, um, but details of the report were a bit mixed. You know, we saw business activity that uh, edged up after having declined in prior months and new orders uh, had a rebound. Um, but there were some comments about the survey respondents pertaining to you know, higher energy prices, which adds to the uh, already strong cost pressures many uh, businesses are experiencing. So overall, you know, Frank, I know you pointed out the strength in the, in the jobs report from last week. Um, maybe I'll just you know, point out to listeners that our, our head of asset allocation, Jason Dreho, had a blog out this week. The title was on the one hand, but it really argued that it's, it's getting difficult to draw strong conclusions on whether the economy is slowing or is at you know, risk of a hard landing. Even though these economic data points are coming in pretty solid, um, the, the challenge is that the data is a bit noisier than, than usual. So, you know, even though, um, you know, everything is looking you know, relatively strong as, as it comes in. It's, it's still a bit difficult, though, to have strong conviction on the economic outlook, you know, given all of the dynamics uh, that are at play. It was an interesting piece by Jason. Our listeners might recall we caught up with Jason on that very topic a bit earlier this week on Top of the Morning. So definitely we'll point our listeners to that podcast, which was released back on Tuesday. Uh, though, Barry, as you know, as our listeners know, it was a challenging first quarter of the year and many of us were anxious to turn the page. So at this point, we've begun the second quarter. How have fixed income markets been performing, generally speaking, Barry? And then also, I'm curious to hear about, I know we'll get Frank in on this as well, how the performance has fared specific to the areas within the asset class that you both cover. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's been a continuation of the uh, price declines that we saw in the first quarter for higher duration uh, fixed income sectors uh, in April, you know, based on where treasury yields have have increased, you know, pretty substantially even further just over the past week. We've had uh, about a over 20 basis point rise in the five-year treasury and uh, over a 30 basis point rise in, in the 10-year Treasury um, to 2.7. So, you know, clearly a lot's being factored in in terms of the Fed hiking cycle into the Treasury curve right now. It's uh, continued to weigh on the performance of uh, many fixed income sectors. Um, specific to what I focus on in investment-grade uh, corporate bonds, uh, so they're down now over 9% uh, year to date, you know, which is uh, really the worst, you know, start um, really, really in history. You know, I have to go back to the 1980s to see declines, you know, on this magnitude of about uh, 8% over over a quarterly period. Um, so it, it, it's been rough. But on the flip side, you know, we have seen credit spreads, which have stabilized. You know, they had peaked out um, pretty substantially around mid-March. 
uh, reflecting, you know, concerns about both the Fed tightening cycle as well as the you know, onset of the Russian-Ukraine war. Um, and those credit spreads, though, have, have retreated pretty substantially, um, you know, back to February levels. So, uh, you know, we take that as, as a good sign that the market's not pricing in, um, you know, really these, these growth concerns and, into credit spreads. Um, overall, we have become neutral in CIO on investment-grade corporate bonds, you know, given the increase in yields that has taken place, as well as credit spread levels that are above, you know, where they began the year, more reflecting, you know, average uh, non-recessionary type level. And one place in particular where we see value is in the shorter end uh, of bond maturities. So investment grade with bonds maturing between one and three years provide yields now that are 3%, um, sometimes a bit above that. You know, a lot of that yield comes from the rise in, in treasuries. As I mentioned, but we've also seen um, credit spreads, you know, again, that are that are wider than where they began the year. So that's that's a place where if investors are looking to put some cash to work uh, in a relatively you know low risk uh, opportunity, uh, we think that that's a place you know investors can point to in that short end of investment grade corporate. Yeah, and I just when it comes to preferreds, preferreds were. A bit more range bound uh, in the month of March, but ultimately uh, the sector lost about 0.8% for the month. But that caps one of the sector's worst quarters since the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. During the first quarter, the broad preferred sector lost about 6%. But I like to segment the preferred market into two subsectors based on par value. You have $25 par preferreds and you have your $1,000 par preferreds. And what we see when we do that and look at first quarter performance is that the $25 par preferreds actually lost 8% during the quarter, while $1,000 par preferreds were still down, but they, they were down by less. They were down by 5%. And again, as, as rates have surged once again over the past week, as Barry just mentioned, 20 basis points in the five-year Treasury 30 and the 10-year uh, we see that $25 par preferreds are down for the week by about 2.5%, while the $1,000 par preferreds were more flat over the week. So what's going on here? Well, the main reason for that differential is that $25 par preferreds tend to have fixed coupons, so they tend to be more interest rate sensitive, while $1,000 par preferreds have variable rate coupons, which can help mitigate that interest rate sensitivity. So when investing in preferreds, we generally do uh, advise it is a good idea to diversify exposure to different par markets, diversify exposure to those different coupon types. Now, going forward, we did recently move to a more favorable outlook on the sector. And I point out, Barry mentioned that we moved to a neutral on uh, investment-grade corporates. That was also uh, an upgrade, uh, I should point out. So, you know, as we're seeing uh, these sell-offs, uh, these, these interest rate driven sell offs, valuation naturally is improving. Uh, but back to preferreds, you know, based on the degree of, of sell off that's already occurred, we do see better value. Um, coupled with our outlook for just marginally higher interest rates from here, at least in the near term, that trajectory that we saw this week, those huge moves in, in the, the five and 10 year treasury yield is really not sustainable. So, from here, we're more likely to see more range-bound uh, uh, trends in, in Treasury rates, at least in the near term. And at this point, Dan, there are some 
really good yields to be had in the preferred sector. So we do have a, a, a more favorable view on the sector at this point. Well, Frank Barry, thank you for that performance recap. A good time to point out that the latest yield and income publication, that title, March Came In Like a Lion, Out Like a Hawk, is available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, our clients listening in can contact their financial advisors if they would like to receive a copy of that piece directly. Though, Frank, as we begin to look ahead, what is CIO's overall market outlook and what are some of the events to look forward to in the week ahead? Starting with the fixed income outlook, kind of picking up where I left off, um, you know, while we have seen these treasury rates continue to surge in, in recent days, we do think that they're approaching the top of their near-term range. And in our forecast, um, it's important to note that we do think it's, it's possible and do we, we do expect the two-year to 10-year part of the treasury curve to become inverted again with the two-year uh, treasury yield rising above the 10-year treasury yield. There was a lot of discussion about this last week because uh, we did see a slight inversion in the treasury curve last week, uh, an inversion of about seven basis points. That inversion could uh, increase to about 25 basis points by year end. But we do not believe that this will signal a recession. Instead, it'll more likely be an indicator of the expectation of future Fed rate cuts in years to come as they orchestrate a soft landing in the years ahead. But overall, I will just say, you know, uh, uh, we were discussing or we alluded to earlier Jason Dreho's blog about the noisy data out there. Um, there are a broader range of outcomes in the investment outlook, no doubt. So as a result at CIO, we are more neutral on risk assets, including stocks. But the key is we aren't negative. We expect the economy to be able to absorb the Fed's inflation-fighting rate hikes, and this uh, supportive economic environment should remain uh, uh, supported by a strong labor market, uh, uh, household balance sheets are certainly healthy, and that'll, that'll support equities as well. Uh, Barry, uh, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Just in terms of the week ahead, next week, uh, the CPI release for the month of March will really be, I think, the uh, most closely watched figure. Uh, and here, you know, it's really shaping up to be among the largest CPI increases, you know, really since the 1980s. So, you know, to see the headline number over 8% uh, will certainly, um, you know, have some uh, shock value to it. But I think it's important to keep in mind that, you know, the market is, is expecting this. Um, and, you know, in, in our view, it's, it's really baked in, especially to levels that we're seeing interest rates, you know, have risen to presently. So it's not so much the high value of the release that we'll see next week, but further releases for the remainder of the year, you know, it's where you want to see a gradual decline uh, take place. Uh, and, and that'll be important. You know, I think that, you know, the risk isn't so much that we overshoot in next week's reading, but that if you do have more consistent overshoots uh, for the remainder of the year, which is not, you know, what our economists are looking for. We, we are, in fact, looking for a slowdown to happen um, as, you know, some of the factors like uh, the base effects as well as uh, some of the other contributors, such as used uh, auto car prices, um, edge a bit lower and moderate. Um, but clearly that'll be the highlight as well as the start of the first quarter 2022 uh, earnings season uh, and It'll start with the large U.S. banks uh, midweek next week, and there'll certainly be uh, a deluge of information, right, that investors will unpack from the 
results that we're getting from companies as well as the, the guidance um, as far as you know what they're seeing, uh, how they're how they're viewing uh, businesses um, perform you know, for uh, the remainder of the year, given of course the the obstacles you know that we're facing um, as it relates to just overall macro uncertainty, as well as you know cost pressures um, that will impact their margins. So you know, overall, our equity strategists expect this earning season for the first quarter to be a good and give investors conviction that, you know, economic growth is proving to be resilient. Um, but of course, you know, the takeaways and the guidance will be uh, very important to, to keep an ear out for. Well, Barry, thank you for highlighting those points of interest in the week ahead. It's hard to believe that we're on the cusp of yet another corporate reporting season. Time goes by very quickly. And Frank, thank you for the broader outlook comments a few moments ago. I will point out that the fixed income strategist uh, really spends time talking about a Q2 outlook for the asset class, which Frank had alluded to, uh, that title Hawks at the Helm. And your colleague Leslie Falconia will be joining us next week here on Top of the Morning to uh, speak more deeply into that piece. Though Frank Saleo, Barry McAlinden, a great catching up as always. And thank you for joining us here on Top of the Morning. Wish you a nice weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Take care, guys. And again, today we've been joined by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategists for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients, our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Again, to take inventory of the two publications that tie right into this morning's conversation, Yield and Income, March came in like a lion, out like a hawk, as well as the fixed income strategist, Hawks at the Helm, 2Q Outlook. So both of those pieces available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. As mentioned, for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive copies of those publications directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO dash disclaimer.